Hello everyone, thank you for joining us and welcome to the Vinyl Revelations podcast with your host Sharpie and the Captain. Hello. So Captain, what have you been listening to this week? Anything interesting? Well, I mean, given that this is our 10th episode now, yeah, we've, we've hit uh, number Juban. Um, uh, actually, I had to concentrate a lot on the music that we're going to talk about tonight <laughs> because there's so much bloody music. So um, um, without giving the the game away, I've been listening to a lot of Guns N' Roses. Yeah. <laughs> so about yourself. Likewise, a lot of Guns N' Roses yeah. and um, side, slash slide, side projects. Yeah. Um, that was a bit of a tongue twister, that one. Slash side projects. Say that three times in a row. Yeah, no um, <laughs> And the other thing that we've been working on is our um, top five albums of 2020. So I've been going back and listening up to a few of last year's um, albums as well, so um, it's kind of been yeah. quite quite busy with that. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to say about that is the, the kind of the impetus for us thinking about uh, you know our favorite albums for twenty twenty is that actually um, the album that we're listening to today was a request. Yeah, so thanks very much for su- suggesting music for us to cover. Um, please keep those requests coming. Um, we may well do one in the near future. Just catch us up on uh, Instagram or on Twitter. Uh, just go hashtag VRPC. Our email address is on the Twitter handle if you want to email us, if you're more old school. Uh, we're always happy to to oblige if we like the music. If we don't, well, we'll just ignore it. <laughs> That's right. But don't be upset if we, if we ignore it, though. No, no, no. So yeah, so it's our 10th episode uh, and we've got the German beers out, so I think that's all good. We've got a Krombacher Pils. Very fresh, very, very ripe. Very fresh, yes, yes. Drinks that all night? Yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah. For various reasons I haven't really been drinking over the last, since we actually started this, this programme, this uh, uh, podcast, um, just basically only drinking when we've had an episode. Um, so, uh, but just this little week I thought, fuck it. <laughs> Fancy some beers, so we've got the Krombacher Pils, and then we're going to hit the Pilsner Earl Curl, which is my favourite beer. And can't we, And what's this down here? Oh, Sharpie, you've got your, your favourites. Let's have a look. Yeah, yeah. Got the, um, well, the, the remainders of my Cairngorm Brewery mm. delivery. So we've yeah. got um, Trade Winds, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of, I tend to stray towards the lighter beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is kind of citrusy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Light kind of, mm. and it's not quite lager, yeah. But it's not, you know, it's it's not going to be chewy either, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. That Cairngorm Gold one, that probably would be more like my sort of taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool and Wildcat. Is that what's that? Is that like more like a kind of McEwen's eighty or something? Like a dark reddish beer. It's it's a bit reddish, uh-huh. yeah. But it, I find them. Uh-huh. None of these beers are very heavy. Even mm-hmm. their their stout. Yeah, yeah. You know, is isn't isn't difficult to drink you know mm-hmm. you could have you know two or three in a row quite happily without yeah, yeah. really thinking about it which you probably couldn't do with a, with a lot of stouty beers definitely definitely anyway well let's cheers to that cheers slanchy come by here's a reduction in lockdown restrictions as well well christ i don't i'm not really even paying attention to any of that but yes anything that uh, can get back to some some semblance of normal will always be uh, Gratefully received. Having said that, I don't like the fact that I have to ask permission to do stuff. So, no. anyway, so very much in that kind of attitude, we are listening to uh, a band which uh, was quite famous for, uh, you know, ripping up the rule book and not giving a fuck and, you know, 
certainly um, annoying the parents of the generation, certainly. Annoyed my parents for a generation, that's, that's for sure. Indeed. So, David, what are we listening to? Yeah, so it's my choice this week. Um, and we, I'm going to introduce you to My Ground Zero, my big bang musical moment um, where my musical fascination really took off. It's a bit of a cheat week as well, I guess, because we're co- going to cover two albums for the price of one. Yeah. Um, and they are, of course, Guns N' Roses, Use Illusions 1 and 2. So, Captain, did you know much about these albums before, before now? To be honest, uh, no. I mean, I just knew the kind of quite iconic um, uh, album covers, you know, the sort of uh, orange, uh, sort of yellow and red, and then the blue and sort of purple one. Uh, for anybody who's kind of familiar with the Northeast, um, my, my family, we used to have a caravan up in uh, Spay Bay uh, on the Moray Coast. And we used to go into Elgin near there. There was a great music store, uh, like a guitar shop. And I always used to go in there uh, with my dad and it just was plastered in Guns N' Roses posters and stuff. And it just, it was so cool, mm. you know, when you were like, you know, 10, 11, 15, 13, 14, just going into that shop, seeing these kind of posters, you know. And the, the other one was quite iconic, the sort of like uh, Guns N' Roses, but with Skull and Bones, sort of, you know, the each character from the band. That's the appetite for destruction. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a kind of side poster for that. But yeah. yeah, so... Um, Visually, I knew them, and I knew some of the songs, obviously, but I hadn't actually appreciated that, um, uh, you know, Live and Let Die and the, the Terminator 2 song was from these albums. Yeah, right. So that's that's quite interesting, because, you know, the, the iconic albums mm-hmm. been around now for quite a while. Um, well, is it, what was it, 1991? Or 19, yeah, 1991, so 30 years, yeah. yeah. So, like I say, these albums... Particularly, use illusion two are my ground zero for what you know is is now actually a major hobby of mine. Mm. Um, so when I was at school, and I'm talking primary school, primary five, um, a friend brought this tape into school, and he kind of nicked it from his older brother, who's a, a good kind of five years older, yeah, right, six yeah. years older. Um, so he brought this tape in and there was listening stations at the back of the, the class. He says, oh, you know, come over and listen to this. Listen to the amount of swearing in this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he um, put the tape in, we put the headphones on and he fast forwarded it to Get In The Ring. Get In The Ring, yeah, yeah, from Usual Illusion 2. Yeah, yeah so we, we listened to this song and the swearing and the ranting and raving and we all thought it was it was, it was was pretty hilarious. Um, and we did this for you know a couple of weeks and kind of skipped past most of the songs to the this song Get in the Ring. Well, and we all found it pretty hilarious up to a point, and I got a wee bit kind of bored with it. So I asked him, you know, well, what other songs are on this album that anything like that? You know, so oh, there's you know maybe Shotgun Blues. That's a bit funny, like. Okay. Mm. And there's another song on the the other album, um, Double Talking Jive. Got a lot of spin on it, like oh, very good, ha ha he he. Yeah. So. The lyrics to that song are pretty good, actually. I was just, I'm just reading them here. <laughs> um, but then I kind of thought, st- you know, I just started listening to the album from mm. start, start to finish, and I actually began to really enjoy. That must have been a double cassette. No, it was it was individual cassettes. It was individual cassettes. I but for like so. No, usual... no, I don't think they were. Did they manage to fit everything? Yeah, on the, I think on one yeah, cassette? yeah. 
So yeah, just started getting my ear around the rest of the songs and eventually began to really, really enjoy and like mm-hmm. not just the silly ranty swearing, but actually the the music through mm-hmm. the albums as well. And so, um, like, is this kind of like your first rock music, or is it just your first music? First rock music yeah, that yeah. I listen to of my own volition yeah yeah yeah. and made me want to explore what else the band did yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um so went back to um use illusion one like that just the same um and some of the deeper cuts Mm. even at that age i I really enjoyed like estranged and things like Mm. that um locomotive Mm. absolutely love that song um and I like that song, like a coma. I hadn't heard that one before. I kind of got into that one. And it's funny, as time's gone on, that is such a clever song. The story behind it is really quite interesting. And um, I've, I've began, as time's gone on, I've, I've began to like different yeah. songs and different ways yeah. and things. But the, these two albums have always, always stayed with me. Mm. I know these songs like the sound of my own heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. And... You know, I'd not heard. You know, I I could not he- listen to these albums like for a number of years and still know all the lyrics and, sure, and that yeah. sort of thing. So, um, they mean an awful lot to me because, you know, they introduced me to the dark side. Well, to, to yeah, to the dark to the dark side and to music. So, the type of music, particularly in these albums, like looking through an analytical mm. eye for this, yeah. I found quite interesting. I couldn't quite pin a genre of music. Uh, no. Um, actually, just before we go on, I was going to say, so what year would this have been? Would it have been 92, 3? 91. Oh, right. So you, uh, the, the year they came out, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you would have been 10? Yeah. Right, okay. That's what, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't. I, I when I was ten years old, I don't think I was. Uh, I had not started like listening to music actually. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. Um, in terms of the one of the one of the adjectives or phrases that I kept coming up with, and it was more relevant to the kind of the sort of deeper cut ones as you were taking it. I thought it was like honky tonk rock and roll. Yeah. And I think the reason that is because there's a lot of the sort of piano uh, and just the kind of like like that kind of like. Sort of classic sort of blues bar rolling stones kind of sound and swagger um but obviously you've got tracks like you know you could be mine which is just you know balls to wall rock, rock. rock you know yeah. and then you've got the sort of more um grandiose almost like elton john type songs mm-hmm. like november rain and you know and don't cry kind of sits somewhere in the middle you know it's a kind of classic you know rock hard rock ballad you know um and then you, you know like yeah, the the shouty sweaty ones, you know, shotgun blues and bloody blah, blah blah. You know, I I um, I think Guns N' Roses are the archetype kind of hard rock band. They they're they're rock they're a rock band. They're a blues band. They're punky. They're a bit metally, uh, but they're not one of the. They're not only those things. There's some kind of you know uh, amalgamation of all those things. The- they're a really interesting. I think that that's exactly it. They're a really interesting amalgamation mm. of a lot of quite disparate yeah. styles. Mm. 
So if you look at the individuals through the band, you've got Slash, which is the guitar hero, yeah. blues influence, yeah, yeah, yeah. guitar god type. He is the individual. direct sort of lineage of like Jimmy Page and Gary Moore. Absolutely, sort of things, yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Um, listening to the Rolling Stones made him want to play guitar. Yeah, you know yeah, that. Yeah. You know he wanted to play Brown Sugar. Yeah. Um, and then you've got <clears throat> Slash. Uh, sorry, Axel, who's like this um, Sunset Strip. Bandana bedecked, um, chamois leather kilt wearing, dynamo. Yeah. You know, um, in your face kind yeah. of kind of front man. Yeah. Um, but kind of behind that you've got um, the the punk which is duff. Yeah. Adding that kind of mm. attitude through to mm. everything. Yeah. That so it's not just uh-huh. um, pure blues, but there's this yeah agro edge. Yeah. To that blues, mm. which is you know a, a real kind of sort of hot dynamic, yeah. um, and then you've got um, Izzy Stradlin. He always comes across to me as the second guitarist. He always comes across to me as like um, stylistically, he reminds me of like Keith Richards, but functionally, I think he's like the Malcolm Young of the band. He just keeps playing the riff in the back and keeps the whole thing kind of rocking. He plays the little bits that you know you just catches your ears. You know, he's just that little funky bit. And then of course you've got uh, well. Matt Sorum because the was it Stephen Adler, yeah he was the original drummer uh, who, who was just basically kicked out. I was he kicked. I is that who, who is, he, is he Matt was, Sorum on this? Yeah, so yeah, Matt right. Sorum. So the last song to feature mm. Adler w- was Civil War. So they started recording these ah, albums with okay. with Adler, but because of his uh, drink and drug issues, mm. he he wasn't able to function. Yeah, so yeah. they had to kick him out. Yeah, and yeah. They got Matt Matt Sorum yeah, in. Yeah. Um, and you know what, my ear is so attuned to, to listening to Matt Sorum with. He's guns, a great oh, guns guns drummer. I think technically he's he's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. um, I mean he, he plays the drums like they owe him money. You know, <laughs> um, but he's got a real he's he's metronomic at times when he needs to be. But yeah. he, you know he adds bits of flair also when yeah, yeah. when it's required. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I mean for me, my introduction to like Guns N' Roses is, is like I think. 90% of everyone else, I heard Appetite for Destruction and, you know, uh, you know, I loved it. I wasn't that crazy Guns N' Roses fan, but I loved, you know, everyone, everyone had that album. I had it. I still have it. Um, in fact, a couple of years ago, I, I, I re-bought it uh, on CD and just to play in the car. And my wife, she was like, she, she loves it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, every time I go on a train, I can't help but sing, I'm on a train. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but the thing about that is, I think the like uh, appetite for destruction is definitely more a kind of like, like, uh, like rock album, mm-hmm. right? Because it doesn't have the kind of the piano or the honky tonk bits or the you know the the, the big ballads. Is you know uh, you've probably seen on YouTube like uh, you know Guns N' Roses at the you know the Troubadour or something you know in you know nineteen eighty seven or something, and it's it must have been an amazing concert. Skip forward a couple of years, I and mean, very few years actually, you know, and then they're playing at Wembley Stadium and, yeah. you know, that place in Paris, the one you showed me, you know, and they've got like, you know, these beautiful, uh, you know, black backing singers yeah. and they've got like a trumpet section. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. You know. I mean, the, the, the speed of their rise oh, to prominence was, 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 you know, quite staggering. So, yeah, yeah. you know, a matter of, Weeks from forming, they yeah. were playing the troubadour and things, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, the, um, record label folks were mm-hmm. hanging about these places, mm-hmm. signing everybody they, they could, so yeah. they actually signed to Geffen very quickly, yeah, yeah. then they released Appetite yeah. very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing, um, uh, you were talking about uh, Axl Rose, you know, kind of Sunset Strip, I think he sets himself apart, you know, because a lot of the Sunset Strip guys, you know, it could be like Brett Michaels of Poison or, you know, like Motley Crue, is that spandex and a little bit kind of, you know, that's definitely more the glam rock sort of tongue-in-cheek type thing. But when you've got Axl Rose, I was listening to a song the other day from a Scottish band called Nazareth, you know, mm. um, uh, what's the song called? Now you're messing with... But here's the dog, yeah. So that's here's the dog. That, and I was thinking, Christ, that is definitely where um, Axl Rose has picked up his... Um, Picked up his... Uh, was it on the song? Yeah. Ah, right. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. Yeah, I'd like to hear it. Because, you know, I thought Axl Rose was a very unique singer. And he is. But I think he picked it up off of that guy. You know, I think they're banned from Dunfermline, actually, I think. Yeah, Nazareth, yeah. yeah. So, somewhere like that. They're, yeah. they're from Fight, Deepest Darkest Fight. Yeah. Somewhere like that, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, so let's, let's talk about uh, Use Your Illusion um, 1, then. Let's do it, uh, like... So this is the first album that obviously came out. Well, they were, they were released simultaneously. So no, oh, right. <laughs> so no band in history has ever done this. Uh-huh. Released two albums simultaneously. Yeah. Not only that, but got number one and, and number, number two, two right. place in, in Billboard charts. Uh-huh. And it's, it's never never yeah, be, right. been done since. It's quite a remarkable, yeah. you know, a... a, a Achievement. It's kind of a crazy thing too, because you would have thought like the marketing people were saying, "Listen, guys, you know, look, why are we doing this? Yeah, let's just parse this out a bit, you know." Yeah, I mean, like you you alluded to earlier on, it's two and a half hours of music start to to finish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot. I mean, um, as I was saying, like when I first started listening to these albums uh, for this podcast, I was like, "Mm, "Yeah," but then just as it just sort of grew on me a little bit. I started, you know, humming the tunes and thinking, yeah, I quite like that, you know. But it's a lot of music to, you know. I mean, when you were a kid, did, did your friends or did yourself, did you buy both albums together or did you buy one and then buy the other? I bought one, then the other. So, yeah. Usually Losing 2 was the first one. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, absorbed that. I mean, you know, I was, what, like you said, 10, 11. I, I, yeah. I had pocket money. Yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah. didn't have a lot of money. So, mm. you know, and then I went back to... Um, use your illusion one mm. for a long time. My biggest resource for music mm. was actually um, the library. Yes, I did that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Woodside Library. Yeah. Um, every month they would rotate their yeah. their stock. Yeah. So I discovered so many things yeah, yeah, yeah. through Aberdeen Library, yeah, yeah. you know, I discovered Testament, mm. I discovered Iron Maiden, right. I discovered um, ACDC, mm. I got hold of this, I got yeah. hold of all of Nirvana's. All right. So, it was very, very recent, at that time, recent releases were available yeah. from the City Library. It was yeah. quite, I say quite remarkable. I, I, I did that later on, so like, uh, let's say, sort of year, you know, 2000s, 2005, that sort of period... Um, when I was working in the city centre, I'd go into the um, the central library and pick up uh, stuff. You know, if any band because obviously this is before the internet. You know, if it's something you were sort of interested in, you saw something in a magazine or heard somebody talk about something. Yeah, I'd go in and uh, rent it there, and yes, yeah, so I'd copy it. And then if I really liked it, I'd go and buy. Yeah, but yeah, you, I introduced a lot. I did a lot that for like kind of foreign movies as well. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. But anyway, so uh, yeah, we're listening to I think a bad obsession just now from uh, Usual Illusion One. So, um, I mean, for me, uh, this you know, Live and Let Die. I've obviously heard that. Don't cry. It's sensational and November Rain, one of the best guitar solos um, ever. Um, if somebody was to, if you were to take those three songs off the album, what would be the next one you would you would uh, hand someone to say, right, this is this is Use Your Illusion and this is the best or your favorite? I I, I I struggle with questions like this because I think. There's very few poor songs yeah, yeah. over the two yeah. albums. Yeah. So, uh, man, I would probably give him Bad Obsession. I think, yeah, I mean, it just so happens that we're listening to that one just now. I think that is a really cool song. It's a kind of snarly, you know... It's metallic blues. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, such yeah. a heavy, yeah. but such a yeah. massively blues-orientated yeah. riff played yeah. on slide, yeah. over overdriven slide. It's just... I've, I've always loved it, and... Yeah. I've always loved the swing of, mm. of the song and mm. you know the musicianship yeah. of the song. Um, I think Coma's really good as well. I like that you know that kind of major minor riff. You know, and it kind of reminds me of um, oh fuck, what's the uh, what's the last track on uh, Appetite for Destruction? It's kind of long. Yeah, well, I was gonna I was gonna say about that. So there there is hints from Appetite for Destruction as to yeah. where Guns N' Roses are going to go. Yeah, yeah. So Rocket Queen is very like Coma. Sorry. Yeah. Um, where it's a multi-part, yeah. Yeah. long song to end an album, and it's yeah. exactly the same as Coma, in, yeah. in, in, yeah. a, in that, that yeah, regard. Yeah. Structurally, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just, you know, the, this, the, set, the overall sound of the band and production has been developed. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And there's not silly sex noises. <laughs> Maybe they're deep in the mix. <laughs> that's right, yeah. that's right. Um, but... That's one of the songs as time's gone on I've got to appreciate mm. more and more and there's a link it's not played often live I think it's only ever been played twice live mm. and I, th there's a link of it being played live on, on YouTube of course mm. um, and it's just actually sensational because because it's not played live you can see the band enjoy it yeah, yeah, yeah. I, having to quite concentrate on yeah. it and, you know and um, they just they p play as a unit mm. so well through yeah. that, that song, you know, mm. um, and it's, I just think that ending couple of verses mm. um, are just sensational bits of, they're, they're almost poetry, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think speaking of poetry, that's a nice segue to talk about Slash's guitar playing. Um, and actually, I think this is, on these two albums is where, like, Slash becomes kind of like, you know, inverted commas, guitar god. The guitar solos on, um, what do you call it, uh, Appetite Destruction are great. I mean, obviously, Sweet Child of Mine and uh, probably the most like, famous guitar solo, but uh, Paradise City is, you know. The end yeah. solo in Paradise City, yeah. when they go a bit crazy, is, yeah. you know, but phenomenal as well. So they're it? kind of like, um, I don't mean it's pejorative, but they're kind of flashy solos, yeah. in very commas. But, you know, the guitar solos in The Member Rain and, and Don't Cry, these are him, like, I stepping into like kind of Eric Clapton um you know guitar you know you know he's picking up the lineage of of you know guitar greats you know the sustain the the vibrato just the kind of melodiousness of the uh of the the solos I mean they're, and they're so you know they're actually like structured you know what I mean they're not just kind of ad-libbed I don't think you know he's really paying attention to 
the phrasing and melody and yeah there are godlike guitar yeah. moments the tone, yeah yeah over the all of these albums yeah. sometimes they're so subtle you don't yeah immediately pick them up but mm. there's solos to both albums mm. that are are you know if if any other band or guitarist came up with solos of that standard mm once or twice in their career yeah. they'd be happy yeah. but Slash does it over mm. the entirety yeah. of the two and a half hours yeah. of these albums and there's some bits stand out more than others but just the overall standard of his guitar playing in particular is so high yeah. um, and he, he pulls out a few toys you know he, he uses this aluminium neck trap has been in bad obsession yeah. he uses 12 strings yeah. he uses a few pedals and things but just his Technical standard yeah, think, of playing is so I think, high. Yeah, these albums is where he becomes the like you know he, he moves like as I say like into the pantheon of the greats. Like I think on um like even on Appetite for Destruction, I think he was still occasionally playing like a kind of like like a like the sort of death metal style guitar, the BC Rich ones, you know, the kind of pointy ones. Yeah. Are usually funny colours and stuff, you know, and they're sort of jaggedy and sharp. But this is where it's all Les Paul, uh, you know, principally. Uh, all Les Paul and it's the tone and uh, yeah. So the only reason that apparently he uses that is, I mean, for the tone is is one thing, but he he very rarely uses a whammy bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I think it's predominantly for for that reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you you you're obviously a guitar player. Um, the song "Civil War" uh-huh. that intro wawa mm. pedal. Yeah. Um, what did you make of of that? Because I've I don't I've never played with a Wawa pedal, so I yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it's apparently a pedal you have to learn how to it's, use it's, to yeah. maximize its its you know. It is it's just slightly a tricky thing to do because um it, I can't, it depends um how it's set, but you know if you put like your foot down, say on the down beat, that can actually make it like flat or. Um, I think the, the term they used to use was like open and shut, basically, you know, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> um, and yeah, um, there's certain people who are really good at it, and you know, you have to actually physically you have to like you know balance basically on what on your left and right foot, uh, you know, you have to sort of balance and, and you know, um, be gentle with it, you know, and it's like when you bend the string up, you know, that's when you sort of have to like you know maybe sometimes you, it works to, to lift the pedal up you know sometimes it's like um like a antithetical sort of movement in your body if you're going up everything tends to go up but sometimes if, if you push your foot down that's when you get the big sound i mean uh rory gallagher which would be another person we should talk about uh, in the sort of slash kind of uh, pantheon he was he, he's very very good at it and then the, then you get to other people like kirk hammett you know who go kind of just go you know and it still sounds great well yeah. the pedals are funny there's something kind of like you don't really hear it a lot in music in the last sort of 10, 20 years. Um, maybe something will come back. I mean, it's a bit like saxophone. Like, y- you never heard of that. But in the last sort of five to 10 years, there's a lot of bands and a lot of people, you know, taking saxophone. You know, maybe it was that. Have you ever seen that the, the clip on YouTube? There was a guy who plays uh, Careless Whisper on a saxophone. He just jumps into like a, a lecture hall. And he's just like. <laughs> 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 and everyone's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was something like that. It's you know bizarre how these things work, but yeah. Uh, Wawa pedals. Um, I must admit, I ha- I hardly use my Wawa pedal now, but maybe I should. Yeah. Just like particularly with that song, mm. the way he accents, yeah. like Slash 
the way he bends yeah. notes mm-hmm. is in- incredible anyway. And then he yeah. uses the the wah pedal yeah. to accentuate, accentuate those. Yeah. And yeah. the skill to create that sound... Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really anybody around just now that has that level of control. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really trying to think. I mean, the one guy that sort of kind of briefly comes to mind is uh, Zach Wilde. Um, you know, he played with uh, Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. his own band. He, he's, uh, he's somebody who's kind of uses the wah-wah pedal a lot. I mean, you know, I, you know, actually, when you think about it, I don't think uh, Kirk Hammett's touched a wah-wah pedal since Reload. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I but mean, he used it in a very different way, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's sort of like Slash's solos are predominantly really, really, yeah, yeah. while yeah. while we're pedal driven by no, any yeah, means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it tends to be quite carefully considered yeah, accents yeah. Yeah. when he does use it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I was going to say like. You know, Guns N' Roses have a, they're not really a branding type band, but there are certain like things that you associate with Guns N' Roses. So like, you know, Jack Daniels, Marshalls, Marlboro Les Paul, Marlboro uh, cigarettes, you know, Harley Davidson's, you know, uh, I suppose Budweiser, you know, uh, like Levi Jeans. They're quite a, you know, I, I kind of classic in that sense. They have sort of associations. I don't think, you know, this is before like, uh, you know, a lot of bands do this now, they kind of have associations. I think uh, like Rammstein have got a, an association with like a Balencia, which is a kind of like a, like a, you know, Italian or Spanish or French, uh, you know, fashion thing, you know, really expensive, you know, but, uh, you know, back 30 years ago, bands didn't do that. They just, but they, they were kind of associated with it, you know, and that's why I'm sort of saying like, when you saw the posters or the videos of Guns N' Roses, they just looked cool, you know. All looked, of them, yeah. yeah. They looked like pirates. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, they're such unique looking characters and they all had their own St- yeah, taken on their rock and roll style, didn't absolutely, they? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's quite, you know, like a lot of bands, you know, basically you just look at the singer or the guitarist, you know, or sometimes it's the drummer, yeah. you know. Um, but there's very few bands where everybody is actually like... <laughs> You know, a, an a, icon within an, themselves. You know, a comic book character. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so you have got Matt Sorum, this blonde, maned, yeah. terrifying individual beating the crap out of his drums. You've got the scary, uh, white-haired punk guy with a white bass and yeah. the, you know, the the the, the wife beater yeah. vest. You've got Slash with his top hat. Um, and then the Les Paul, and then you've got Axl Rose, you know, either in his um, suit jacket with yeah. no t-shirt underneath, yeah. um, with the Dr. Martens or the Shaggy Dr. Martin, yeah. He did the, like short shorts as well. Aye, yeah, the yeah. terrifying short shorts. Yeah. And, you know, the, the chamois leather kilt with the mm-hmm. Dr. Martens mm-hmm. and the six-inch belt was such yeah. an iconic look. There was nobody looked like that. I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, just like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, like most, like ninety percent of like musicians and bands nowadays are just so like, like grey. Yeah. <laughs> when you compare it to that sort of stuff, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, guys with long hair and black t-shirts yeah. and jeans yeah. playing seven-string guitars very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, moving on to. Um, 
Usual Illusion 2. So this album, um, for me, is the one that kind of grew on me more, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of ironic because actually it had the... The only song I really knew was You Could Be Mine. Um, I, I mean, of course, I'd heard uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, but these other songs, they were kind of new to me. And especially the last couple of days, I've listened to it. I think, actually, I probably prefer Use Your Illusion 2 to Use Your Illusion 1. What say you? Yeah, Use Illusion 2 was, as I said, oh. the, the first album that I listened to. More just through coincidence, but I think... It's always kind of been my favourite. A few songs and and uh -huh. Solution One accepted, yeah. but just the overall, there, I think there's a progression of of the band's yeah. sound actually yeah. through one and two. Yeah. Some of the songs in Solution One were actually written mm -hmm. at the time of Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, so they're like the the tail ends of of yeah. of that, mm. whereas. There's a more yeah. developed sound through, uh, particularly the right. second half of of the album. Mm -hmm. Um, breakdown locomotive. Mm -hmm. So finding the strange. I mean that those songs they're just so huge, yeah. you know, and they're some of them have got really complex structures. Yeah. There's really delicate piano sections mm -hmm. through them, um, which like. You said that there was none of that in Appetite for Destruction, yeah. so there's, I guess, a, a, a linear progression of mm -hmm. of of, um, of style almost. Yeah. Um, I just actually a question just popped in my mind. Um, so obviously in Usualution Two, there is uh, uh, the song I like, uh, "You Could Be Mine," which was in the Terminator Two movie, right? Um, but "Live and Let Die" was that on um, the Interview with a Vampire movie? Um, they they covered or sympathy for the devil. Yes, yeah, sympathy for the devil. So what album is that on? It's not on an album. Oh, it was released right. as a oh, standalone single. single. Oh, okay, right. And it was almost the last thing they released. Yeah, it must have been because I was thinking I'd interview the man vampire. Because I think shortly it. after that, Slash released yeah. Slash's Snake Pit, didn't he? Ooh. I would need to have a look at when yeah. sympathy for the devil was released. And, and, um, but yeah, yeah, I think. Use Illusion Two is is almost definitely my my preferred mm -hmm. album, and I think it's just because and, the uh, album even ahead of Appetite for Destruction. I'm going to say say something quite controversial. I've I'm not a huge. If, if you give me an option between these albums and Appetite for Destruction, I would really choose well, these yeah, these yeah. albums every time mm -hmm. because the. Band just get better at what yeah, they do. Yeah. There's some cracking songs, and actually some of the deeper cuts on mm. on Appetite for Destruction are my favourite. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Easy and Rocket yeah. Queen. Yeah. I, I love those songs. I don't ever need to hear Sweet Child of Mine again. No. Nobody does. Yeah. You know? Um, Mr. Brownstone, I think, is yeah. a yeah, yeah. great track as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I just think the overall sound... Mm of the whole band yeah. is a so much better. Yeah. When you talk about uh, It's So Easy, it's, uh, it reminds me, uh, I have not seen Guns N' Roses live. I think you have, is that right? You have? No, no. Oh, all right. Oh, okay, well, so um, It's So Easy. Um, I have seen um, kind of like, uh, what would it be? Three-fifths of Guns N' Roses. Because <laughs> um, obviously after uh, 
uh, well, Spaghetti Incident is their last kind of album before the kind of hiatus, and then the never ending story of Chinese democracy. And you know, <laughs> Slash did his uh, Slash Snake Pit, which you were uh, showing me earlier, is pretty cool. But the next time I kind of got in touch with Guns N' Roses was when I was sort of getting into gigs and getting into music and playing myself and stuff, was when Velvet Revolver came out in the late 90s. And that was kind of the super group of the time. So you had Slash on guitar, Duff McKagan on bass, Matt Sorum on drums, and Scott Vyland from uh, Stone Temple Pilots, singer. And then uh, they had another uh, uh, rhythm guitarist who I forget. But anyway, uh, my friend at the time at university, he was a mad Guns N' Roses fan. And he said, oh, Velvet Revolver are playing in Glasgow. And he said, oh, we've got to go and go. And I was, you know, a bit like, a, a bit sort of flippant. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, why not? Yeah, let's go check him out. Um, and when I was standing, like, in the auditorium, they, they came on, they played, um, you know, the, the Velvet Revolver tracks. But I think the second or third song they played was It's So Easy. And it was so fucking cool. Because, as you say, you've got, you're standing in front of Slash, you know, and when you see these sort of people just like kind of on TV or in magazines, they kind of have a sort of, you know, such a, like, uh, they're so distant. But when they're suddenly in front of you, like, you know, literally, yeah, 10, 15 metres in front of you, wow. And Scott Weiland, he absolutely picked up um, the swagger and, you know, snarl of, uh, gun of um, Axl Rose. I mean, really, I mean, he passed away now, but I mean, he, he was like, he really he caught the, the vibe mm -hmm. and to, to see that band and Duff McGagan as well um, you know it was at the uh, the place we went to see Rob Zombie uh, the O2 Academy yeah just so that's quite a small like when you like you say they, these guys have played Stadia exactly you yeah, know and to, to put that energy yeah, yeah. into that kind of kind of capacity and yeah. you know it's you know, I, yeah, so I, I thought you had seen Guns N' Roses at one of the Donington things, no, right? Mm. No, I've not seen. Right. Desperate. Yeah, well, I think, the, the, like, you showed me those videos from, like, Paris and, like, Wembley, you know, as you see, like, the, the, suddenly from playing small clubs, they've got these huge oh, arenas. And, absolutely. You know, flying in Concord. So, 87, 88, they were playing, you know, the Troubadour and, and Sunset Strip and things. And then, yeah. like, like you said. Rainbow say, Bar and Grill. Rainbow Bar and Grill. You know, and, and then all, like, Three years later, four years later, they're they're touring with Metallica and, and, and yeah. selling Sadia out. You yeah. know, it's just a meteoric yeah. rise to to fame. Mm -hmm. um, so when they toured with um, Metallica, it would have been on the Usual Illusion. It was part of the Usual right, Illusion okay. tour, yeah. So, but this is quite an interesting part of history. So you had these two albums out mm -hmm. selling like crazy, number one, number two, right. and Metallica. Had just released the Black album. Yeah, it must have been at the same time. Yeah, and now, so Metallica weren't yet the biggest band and metal band yeah, in the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Guns and Roses were. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know because of what had came before them. Because yes, yes. if you compare Appetite for Destruction to yeah. um, Justice for All, yeah. you know this the sales don't come anywhere close. No, no, no. So yeah, Appetite of Destruction was the one that like that blew uh, um, uh, Guns N' Roses up. They were riding the crest of the wave. Exactly. Whereas, uh, Metallica were still like the tsunami was still coming. Exactly. Once the Black Album came, got a bit of a you know yeah. a bit of a boom. That yeah. Them. So the, yeah, slightly afterwards. So yeah, it was kind of interesting because I remember seeing an interview with Lars Ulrich saying like you know, they were talking about the the, the headline 
you know, thing. So he was saying like, yeah, we'd split the dough 50-50 and, you know, one night we'd play first and one night they'd play second. Or it didn't really matter. We didn't really care. And we had, uh, I think it was Faith No More, like the... Some of the uh, support acts were a bit odd, like... Yeah, but, like, what it kind of uh, realised to me, like, you know, when we go to a gig, uh, hopefully gigs will come back, hopefully, uh, you know, but, you know, you and I, we'd, you know, we'd meet up after work, you know, get a few beers and go and watch the gig or jump on a train and travel over, blah, blah, blah. You know, these Metallica and uh, Guns N' Roses things, they were like kind of eight hour events. Holy moly, yes. So, you know, because Guns N' Roses, uh, Metallica would play like a basically a two hour set. <laughs> then there'd be, God knows how much time between them and Axl Rose, you know, washing his hair and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. coming on. They would normally come on at like 11 o'clock and play for two, two and a half hours. Yeah. But even before Metallica came on, You'd have a band like Faith No More playing its kind of you know, you know, forty five minutes or hour or whatever. Minutes. And you got a, you know time between that, so it was basically I don't know what time people arrived at these stadiums. You know, it must have been like kind yeah, of, a mini festival or something. Basically, every every night must have been a mini festival. They must have been arriving at three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, <laughs> think about it. You know, <laughs> they uh, off work to go. <laughs> basically, yeah, yeah. But I mean, these guys were doing that. I mean, I don't know the the schedule for that tour, but they must have been doing that like. You know, every other night, almost. Yeah. You know, because obviously in America and Canada, you're sort of the distance between gigs is much greater than it is here in Europe. You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you you need a lot of um, what do you call it um, energy just to sit to, to, to watch these gigs. And of course, the one in Montreal turned into a riot because yeah. Axel. Oh, know, he was two hours late coming on stage yeah, or something. Yeah, it was yeah. Just yeah, nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, but yeah, I always think like. Uh, the, you know, before I got into these album albums, I did know them kind of through some Guns N' Roses videos, like uh, live videos. So there was like the one in Tokyo, and then there's another one I think somewhere in South America. I'm going to say it's like Buenos Aires or something. Uh, you know, and they're just <laughs> these huge, huge crowds, and you know, um, <clears throat> kind of like Guns N' Roses, like. What am I trying to say here? They're, they're, like they don't give much respect to the audience in the sense that you know, like if they just want a jam, yeah, you know, they just jam or you know, Axl Rose is you know, stop throwing bottles or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> there was nineteen ninety three. Um, I picked up a video of them still tooting, usual, yeah. you know, usual illusion, and uh, it was obviously a smaller. Smaller yeah. uh, venue. Sorry, we were just uh, having a drinks change there. But um, they did an acoustic set, and I don't know if it was a regular part yeah, yeah. Of, of, of the tour, because you know, obviously not being there, but um, they pulled out a manky old couch, <laughs> and then they got uh, Domino's pizza like delivered on stage, like five or six pizzas delivered on stage, Jesus. and then these scantily clad ladies appeared yeah. with... with with beers and balls of, of Jack Daniels and yeah. just out to, to the band. Well, they sat on this monkey couch and, and played all the acoustic numbers. <laughs> no, so, not, Meanwhile, 50,000 people are sort of like, what's going on? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not one single shit was given at yeah. any point through, through that. Yeah, mad, yeah. But yeah, that Paris, for, for a long time, there's, um, so the Paris gig was at like a kind of horse racing place or something? Hippodrome. Hippodrome, yeah. yeah. Uh, 1992. Yeah. Um, and they had Lenny Kravitz. Um, so the, yeah, an incredible gig. And for a long time, this was my favourite live um, video at the yeah. time, VHS video. Yeah. Um, but you can now get it on, on, on YouTube, yeah. all two hours of it. Yeah. 
Um, cheers, though. Yeah. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Um, and it's just a massive rock and roll show. Yeah. Isn't it? And yeah. you've got guest appearances, like you say, from Lenny Kravitz. They've got um, a horn section. They've, they've got a keyboard player and a piano and... Yeah. Um, Steve Tyler appears and oh yeah 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 later on. Um, yeah, actually, Aerosmith they they're kind of style like uh, are, like stylistically uh, maybe not musically but stylistically kind of similar. Like uh, Slash and Steve Perry could almost be the same person at some point. You know the sort of the, just the way the the hair and the kind of chest style and the guitar yeah. pose. You know. Um, I think you can hear a, a fair bit of musical influence through with Slash's playing it as well. Yeah. Just it's very subtle though. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think at the time, Guns N' Roses wanted to take over that mantle of yeah, yeah. being not just a rock band but a rock and roll show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then entertain yeah, people, yeah. you know, as as a rock and roll mm. show like mm. ACDC do, like yeah. Aerosmith do, like. Um, the Rolling Stones do, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they wanted to You've seen the Rolling Stones, right? I've seen the Rolling yeah, yeah, Stones, yeah. and it was incredible. What tour was that? That was the British to Babylon tour. Uh, when was that? Oh, that was 2000, 2001, hmm. something like that. Was that in Edinburgh, was it? Yeah, it was Moneyfield, yeah. and it was just unbelievable, you know. And yeah. Two stages, did an acoustic set in the middle of, of a second stage and things. and. I suppose, thinking about it, um, you know, Guns N' Roses, um, while they weren't part of it, they ushered in the kind of stadium uh, stadium extravaganza show. You know, obviously, like in the 70s, you'd had, you know, Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd playing stadiums, but, you know, crappy little PA and, you know, nothing, you know, in terms of, like, to catch your eye, nothing really to look at. But by the time Guns N' Roses sort of, like, moves out of the way, well, or parallel to that, you know, you had bands like U2, and the Rolling Stones were doing these unbelievable sort of stage shows, you know, like, I mean, it was the Actum Baby and Zoo and, um, you know, what was the uh, the Rolling Stones one? Fuck, I forget. It must have been that Bridges to Babylon. I was feeling it was the one before that. Yeah, probably um, the one before that. Yeah, where, you know, there was these massive constructions, you know, in this, in, the only band that does that now is probably like, uh, well, Rammstein and yeah. Muse, maybe. From Metallica. Metallica, yeah. yeah. But I mean, Metallica are quite interesting as well because they were innovators even back then because they did this this snake pit. Snake pit, yeah, yeah. That's that's such a cool idea, you know, to be literally looking up at your favorite musicians, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Then they did this. They've started playing in the round as well, which no band really does. Yeah, I I saw Metallica in Glasgow, I think it must have been 2016, for the Hardwired tour, and they were in the round there, uh, and it was was an indoor venue, the Hydro, and it was pretty cool, actually, I quite liked it. Because that takes stagecraft to to play in the round. Yeah, but they also had the kind of, like, big, did they have, they had four, four screen, um, like suspended videos monitors, if you can. You That's know, wild. You know, so like like that. Yeah. You know, uh, so you could see. You know, they would have like uh, you know just like like live footage and you know like uh, projections of whatever. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what was I gonna say? Ah. So the next album was was Spaghetti Incident, which is effectively just. 
covers. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Um, and it had the hair of the dog when we were talking about earlier. So what about these other bat? Like, I, I don't... Do you know, know they, I've never actually heard this album. It, it is a collection of sometimes quite obscure yeah. songs. Like there's the UK subs, there's yeah, Nazareth, so the, the Damned, the Damned, you know, and Danzig. So they're not. I don't know that. If, if you were in, if yeah. you were into these bands, you would know yeah. the songs. But you know, as a kind of spotty, you know, fourteen year old. Yeah. I didn't know who the UK subs were. Like, you no, know, but, I, um, I never heard of them. Skyliners. There, yeah, there's there's some really good mm. covers on there. There's some one or two that you kind of think ah, I can be doing without. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it starts off with a, almost a rockabilly um, yeah, well, ballad. Yeah, don't have you is is a kind of fifties, as you say, uh, ballad. Yeah, so it's quite a a strange choice to. To start, and it really is the kind of the beginning of the end, you know. Mm. You know when you, you hear yeah. through, and it kind of it peters out a little bit yeah. with you know I don't care about you. Um, but there's a chunk of you know the, the sort of the middle four or five songs are pretty pretty good. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's you know enough of that mm. you know rock and roll gusto yeah. behind them, you know, to be. To be really yeah. good covers. Mm. The interesting thing about it was like the Conjurers said, "Oh, we're releasing on the punk covers," mm. and Slayer went, "That's not punk." Yeah, yeah, so they released Decades of Aggression, yeah. which is punk yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a very Slayerized yeah, yeah. fashion. So it was interesting that that was almost like a <laughs> reaction to to this album. But um, mm. I don't know. It, it's not one that I play that often. It's good to have in your collection because, like I say, you know. <laughs> Axel Rose's full English accent on down on the farm is some is something to behold, like mm. you know. But ain't it fun? Is is brilliant, um, and attitude is great, which they 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 played, mm. um, you know, well before this, yeah. as a cover live anyway, like you know, mm. um, and then it, they kind of almost petered out, really. Guns and Roses. Yeah, yeah. So like so. For me, you know, I had, you know, I, I only really got into Guns N' Roses probably in the last, I'm going to say, 15 years. So actually from like 2005 onwards, something like that. Um, you know, so I had got in, I'd, I'd liked that Velvet Revolver, Revolver first album, seen them live, thought this was great. Uh, their second album kind of just didn't, just for me, didn't register. I, I've never actually heard it. Uh, and then just always in the background was when's this Chinese democracy coming? Yeah, when's this yeah, Chinese yeah. democracy coming? Yeah. When's this Chinese democracy coming? And it was, you know, like I started university uh, like in 1999 and Chinese democracy is coming out soon. <laughs> I finished uh, and I moved to Japan and it was like, in 2007. <laughs> no, when, did, when did Chinese democracy come 2008, 2007. Someone, someone yeah, around then. It eventually came out. You know, I don't know why it took so long, but when it did come out, I actually have to say I really like that album. I like it as well. Yeah, I. I like it as well. I don't know if it is Guns N' Roses, but I like the album. If you know what I mean. Well, I was watching an interview with Slash and Matt and mm. Sorum, and like Slash kind of made that point. Says, "Look, if Axel had just said, look, this isn't Guns N' Roses anymore,' created a new name yeah, yeah. for his project.' Yeah." 
and released the album from that point. Yeah. Do you know what? Everybody would have been really cool with it, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I think, yeah, well, yeah, fair enough, yeah. he's been constructive and productive yeah. and carrying on yeah. beyond Guns N' Roses. And yeah, if, yeah. I think everybody would have maybe been a bit more receptive to it because that that to me isn't Guns N' Roses. I think you're right. That to me isn't Guns N' Roses. No. This is Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, but like I say, nevertheless, I think it's it's a good album. I mean, I think the first half of the album, particularly, I I really really liked. You know, some yeah. really great songs, great, uh, great guitar playing. Um, Axel sounds great through it as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why it took so long? I, I it's the most expensive album ever created, and that's over some of Michael Jackson's creations. Yeah. I mean, it's actually unbelievable. Yeah, and it kind of came out when the music business was kind of actually it's kind of lowest. Yeah, it was all everything wrong but I mean you've got that on vinyl haven't you? I've got it on vinyl yeah, yeah. and mm. I think it's not right for vinyl I don't think it's a long album mm. and I think it's not being created to be put on vinyl so it's split quite strangely for, for vinyl so yeah. I, I probably need to get it on, on CD to, to uh-huh. let it dissipate well yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the yeah. flow properly yeah. As, yeah. as you listen to it but you're right there, there are some really great songs on yeah. it yeah, no, I um, I I'm, I was going to ask you do, you, do you know if they play any of those songs uh, live? I, I, in the reunion tours, yeah, I don't know, yeah, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. Because, well, Guns N' Roses were supposed to play in Scotland last year, 2020, in Glasgow Green, um, but obviously they got kiboshed and uh, not going to happen this year. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I just remember... Like, should I go to that? I, I prefer to see Guns N' Roses like in a stadium rather than kind of an open field. But uh... I will, I will take Guns N' Roses anyway. They come yeah, in this country, because yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. I was too young to to see them first time round. That sure, was the thing. Yeah, you know, I was just yeah. too young to see them first time round. So seeing those hmm. band members together again and yeah. playing those songs, yeah. um you know, is going to be phenomenal mm. no matter which way yeah. you take it. So, have you, have you listened to any of, of, like, Slash's solo stuff, of which he now has a fair body yeah. of work? No, I haven't. I mean, like I say, when I was, like, learning guitar, you know, Slash was on guitar magazines kind of... All the time. All the time. <laughs> and to the point where it was kind of like, um, almost like blasé, you know? I don't mean that flippantly, but... Like, he was always there, and, uh, you know, where my head at the time was, you know, I was listening to, like, you know, John Petrucci and Dime Van Darrell, and, you know, if I did, like, blues, it would be, you know, I was kind of going back way to, like, like you know, Jimmy Page or Rory Gallagher, uh, you know, so the Slash thing didn't really, like, impact me, as I say, like, I didn't really get into Guns N' Roses until about, you know, probably until about the change of democracy, actually. Um, you know, in, in um, so yeah, I tell me about Slash and Snake Pit and stuff. Yes, uh, so Slash's solo material um, started with Slash's Snake Pits, five o'clock somewhere, yeah. and a few years after. Um, you know, a good few years after you Season 1 and 2, Spaghetti Instant, Guns N' Roses kind of petered out. Yeah. Still listening to them pretty regularly. 
Um, always loving kind of the slasher sound. Um, but not kind of really thought... Of, they weren't really in the, the music press or anything, so, you know, yeah, you don't... Yeah, it kind of shifted. It was, yeah. You know, that was, you know, mid-90s, you're talking, you know, well, kind of... Uh, kind of a slightly weird period after grunge, you know, you had Smashing Pumpkins, you had, in America, I suppose, bands like Bush. Uh, yeah. Here in the UK, it was Blur, it was Oasis, uh, Manic Street Preachers, um, you know, um, I mean, even at that time, Metallica were kind of, you know, you know trans, you forming so this was, bit, you know. Yeah, this was 1995. Yeah, Reload would have come out. Uh, yeah, so yeah. a bit of an odd time even for, for Metallica. Yeah. So. Still, there was the Radio One Rock show still yeah. going really strong. Yeah. And great show every week. Mm. We'd listen regularly. Yeah. Um, sometimes even record bits and pieces onto tape. Yeah. And then they, were, they did a special of Donington. Um, and the, the, the lineup was phenomenal. So, yeah, a bit of a shift in. In direction of, of, of metal and rock music, like you say, so mm. there was White Zombie, Machine Head had released uh, Burn My Eyes, so yeah. they were on, on the lineup. Yeah. Um, there was Therapy, um, oh, Slayer, that's right, Slayer. So the Slayer set was apparently incredible. <laughs> Metallica, of course. And then, just out of the blue, there was Slash's Snake Pit. Oh, right, okay. And uh, the Radio 1 Rock Show played one song from their set, which was Beggars and Hangers On. And it's got this incredible, beautiful, clean slide riff. Um, and it's just, it's like sunshine and beer music. <laughs> yeah. It, it's almost got like Delta uh, Blues. Oh, sorry, I'm just uh, that's Mike Inez. Yeah, uh, Alison Chains is the bass player. Exactly, oh, right. exactly. So, Slash had been busy yeah. when Guns N' Roses as a yeah. unit had, yeah. and I think essentially these songs were meant for Guns N' Roses, but yeah. nothing really transpired. So, Slash carried on, mm-hmm. and he got these um, Eric Dover. Who I don't really know yeah, from yeah. out with here, like you say, Mike Inez, but yeah. uh, Matt Sorum plays on yeah, this. Yeah. Gilby Clark, um, as well. Yeah. Um, Duff McKagan actually co-wrote "Beggars and Hangers On." Yeah. Um, and it's just a great album. It's maybe one or two songs too long. I was listening to it today. I yeah. Maybe felt just at the end it was yeah. one or two songs. I think that too was. Long. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, I think we've mentioned this before, like. When the CD became the um, the, the the main uh, platform for uh, you know selling music, I think a lot of albums suddenly got much longer. You know, and I think if you if you notice like from the kind of like ninety three onwards into the two thousands, albums were about like seventeen songs long. You know, yeah, obviously like loads and stuff. You know, um, yeah, just it's you know, I think it's, it's too much. Yeah, I mean, there's two or two or three songs that I would kind of do without um, doing fine and maybe take it away. But the rest of the album is absolutely belting. You know, it it really is a good album, and I I listen to it a lot even now. Um, The last song, I think, you know, is a 
bit of a hangover from the Guns N' Roses era, finishing with like a big epic ballady kind yeah, of yeah. kind of thing, uh, back and forth again. It's just a fantastic song. You know what? Uh, but it's more blue. It's more bluesy yeah. though. So because Duff McKagan isn't heavily involved to it, you don't have that aggressive mm. punk edge sure, yeah. to it. It's it's very much more rock mm. blues yeah. orientated. This album. I think um, I'm just trying to get my dates right here. Like. So the slash was everywhere but nowhere I think for me. Yeah. You know, pick up a guitar magazine or music magazine, there would be a an article, whether it be a whole page or a kind of corner thing, slash would be in it somewhere. And Guns N' Roses, but um Oh man, I mean there was articles I was reading in depth yeah. about what strings the guy used. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, totally. and what guitar leads yeah, that yeah, they like yeah. using. I mean nobody yeah. ever needs to know that, do they? Well, <laughs> I mean it, you know. Um but I just remember like um there was uh, a a Saturday morning, like TV, like kids TV show, um, which um, uh, the name of it I forget, but it basically had Ant and Deck, who are two uh, like like uh, goons, yeah, TV personalities here, and Cat Dealey, who's an attractive uh, woman, and it was kind of like a Saturday morning show, but had music on, you know, um, so like Jennifer Lopez was on it, and blah blah blah. It's the first time I saw the darkness was, you know. Um, on this TV show, but I remember for one bizarre reason that um, Slash was was on it, and um, <laughs> it was live, and I don't think he realised, or maybe just didn't give a fuck, that it was live, and it was a Saturday morning kids TV show. But Cat Dilly was interviewing him, and he was just uh, like effing and blinded all over the place <laughs> and she was like really really cool you know she didn't like you know she didn't um you know bat an eyelid but then you know as soon as that okay commercial break <laughs> then you had aunt and dex sort of sitting there like we apologize for some of the language <laughs> <laughs> that um that was used in the pre- previous interview uh, so that you know that was the only time you know, slash just sort of seemed to be you know, sometimes you get celebrities that, that like have nothing, but they're just always there. Mm-hmm. That was kind of how I saw Slash a little bit in the sort of, you know, 2000s, you know, after the Velvet Revolver thing kind of didn't happen, you know. Uh, but, you know, um, he played, uh, like when I first moved to Edinburgh, I think in sort of 2011, I think it was 2011, 12, 13, he had a gig here in Edinburgh, I must have been supporting one of his solo gigs. It was at the Corn Exchange? Yeah, was it not with Miles Kennedy? Yes, it must yeah. have been that. Aye. Uh, yeah, I mean again I at the time, even though I like, you know, for the last ten years like my my hobby has been going to gigs, I didn't I didn't I didn't bother. But but my my wife wife's friend, she was Swedish, um, she was like, Oh yeah, we've got to go and see Slash, you know? Oh, and I was like you know, but she, I mean she, that, that particular uh, woman, she was very clever. She said, we've got to go and see ACDC. And I was like, ah, you know, <laughs> you know, that would have been on the... Uh, uh, take my money, take my yeah, money yeah. immediately. Yeah. So do you rate Slash as a guitarist then? I mean, you, you, you're, you're obviously more technical orientated guitarist than I am. Yeah, yeah. I like a guy who can riff yeah. and has got a vibe about yeah. him. Or her. Yeah. Um, so do you rate Slash as... Oh, 100%, 100%, yeah. Um, brilliant guitarist. Um, you know, a rock guitarist, you know. I think just me, I was slightly, you know, 
in a just a slightly different uh, place. Yeah, you know, uh, for the music that I, I liked and I like, you know, um, I don't really listen to like uh, like rock music, mm -hmm. but. I love rock music. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if somebody turns on the Scorpions, you know, uh, da -da -da, big city nights, <laughs> you know, I'll be up jumping. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm not somebody, you know, I don't have those sort of songs, you know, in my CD or record collection, yeah. you know, but I love it. Because yeah. Slash to me is, 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 is my first guitar idol. Yeah. You know, before Kirk Hammett yeah. or Dime Bag Darrell, yeah. Slash was, was the boy for me. Yeah, yeah. And the way he played, the way he held the guitar, the way he looked with the guitar, but the way he sounded and what he played, and this is kind of what I was alluding to, was when I started properly listening to Use Illusion 2 and what was actually being played, I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. And then, so you start, like you say, he's always in magazines, you start reading about the guy mm -hmm. in Kerrang or whatever, so, you know, who do you listen to? Oh, I listen to the Rolling Stones, I listen to Rory Gallagher, yeah. I listen to um, ACDC. Mm. So, of course, being impressionable, yeah, yeah, and that young, yeah. so, well, if he likes it, I'm going to like that, yeah. so I'm going to get ACDC Live from Aberdeen Library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do like that. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, to me, created, like I've said in the past, linear influences through music. Yeah. Slash introduced that concept to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was clever, like, uh, you know, through his kind of, like, brand association with, like, Marshall and, you know, I don't know, leather trousers and, you know, you know top hats and, mm -hmm. you know, Ray-Ban sunglasses, whatever, uh, you know, he, he fitted himself in. I mean, like, uh, we're talking about Rory Gallagher, like, it must have been after he died, there was a kind of, like, a, a TV show here in the UK on Channel 4, it was, like, his, like, live concert from Cork, but the, 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 the concert was preceded by Slash oh. saying that, you know, this is the greatest guitarist I've ever heard, you know. You know, the reason I play the way I play is Rory Gallagher. So he was very clever. Slash is, is and was very clever at sort of fitting himself in, you know, in the right crowd. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Slash and BB King, you know, bizarre combination. Yeah. But actually, not bizarre combination. You know, they fit fit together. But, yeah. You know, if, if you'd shown your mum and dad a picture of like BB King and a, a picture of Guns N' Roses, I'd take to you think, well, they're not the mix. <laughs> you know, but. Absolutely. Those horrible oinks, you know, they're yeah, not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, Slash just sits in that, as I said earlier, that sort of pantheon of, you know, heralded, you know, greats. Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, Roy Gallagher, B.B. King, you know, um, the kind of soulful, great super guitar players, you know. Mm -hmm. um, not in the sort of Stevie Vai, Ingrid Mamsen, Joseph Trenny thing, but all of them still love him. Yeah. Loves, you know. Because... I think the thing about these iconic guitarists is if you hear them on the radio mm. you know who they are yeah. by their, just yeah. by their sound. Yeah. I can hear Slash play f three notes yeah. and I know it's Slash. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. the, 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 the Les Paul and the way he sets it up and, and everything and the way he, but more than that, the way he plays yeah. that set up yeah. is just... It's, it's, it's almost like his own voice. Yeah. Um, it's so unique, so unique. I think we should, um, uh, before we finish, we should talk about um, Axl Rose in the same sort of way, like his kind of like stage swagger and his kind of, you know, his presence, you know, like his kind of unique delivery, I suppose, you know, because there's, you know, 
I can't think of another like singer singer that was so like in terms of like fashion or like stage movements you know I mean you know just you know sound um, attitude you know kind of persona if, is, yeah maybe not so laterally mm. you know because he's 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 a bit older now yeah. you know but if you look back at that the, the high point, the 92s and 93s, yeah. you know, even 88s when they're touring Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. He can go one moment be the, the angriest person in the world mm. shouting, yeah. you know, political kind of hate yeah. at you. Diving into photographers for taking a picture. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the next moment he's sitting at a piano yeah. playing Beautiful, yeah. almost like neoclassical yeah. stuff in the most tender yeah. ballads. You well, know, he would be happy if you were married to Stephanie Seymour. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's, you know, Axel was an... Int- I, I couldn't quite get the figure of his IQ, but he's apparently got an incredibly high IQ. Mm. He's also a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. Well, you know? yeah. so, and the guy's not a daft no, no, man. No, 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 For no, all no, his... No antics and yeah. his everything that precedes him you know he's not a daft man no, no, no. No. i think i think that's that that's the fine line you kind of straddles you, you know you can be an arsehole because you're an arsehole but you can be an arsehole because you've got a point you know what i mean i think i think that was where he ran out of favor with a lot of fans though was that a lot of his behavior ran in in, in into the worst kind of arsehole for oh, no, right, okay, yeah. no, no reason, didn't it? You know, and, yeah. Well, I mean, I think he did suffer some, like, child abuse, child abuse uh, issues. Yeah, very, very troubled character. Yeah, and he didn't yeah. actually even begin co- coping yeah, with it through yeah. therapy until yeah. much later in his no, life, no, you know? No. So a lot of... I, 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 I suppose that a lot of his drive as a musician was... Probably to yeah. help yeah. cope and deal with that, you know, yeah. but ended up being quite an unhealthy. Yeah. When you add drinking drugs into the mix, you know. Yeah, and I suppose like um, you know, I, you know, I mean, it, obviously back then there wasn't social media and stuff like that, but it would have been the kind of first time where like you know, paparazzi, like, literally everywhere. Yeah. You know, I don't think Keith Richards had, uh, not Keith Richards, um, Mick Jagger, would have had to worry about, you know, so much kind of, like, you know, press, um, kind of, uh, impact on your daily life, you know, but, you know, in, you know, 1990, you know, cam- everybody had cameras, yeah. you, know, you, you know, a Polaroid or whatever, you know, so it was like, people could, you know, just come up and speak to him, you know, um, you know, you had MTV, you know, suddenly it wasn't just music press, it was, you know, like television. Hello Magazine and, and all that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff, yeah. And obviously, you know, the kind of celebrity culture had sort of developed throughout the 80s. So yeah, a lot of pressure put on him. But I just think, you know, when you look, watch his kind of stage craft, you know, there are, there are singers like, you know, the guy from Ramstein, Till Lindemann. He basically stands still and stares at the audience. And it's great, <laughs> you know. And then you have other people like, you know, like Lane Staley from Alton James very kind of um, uh, mystic, actually, mm-hmm. you know, the way he sings, the way he kind of just, you know, is almost somewhere else. Sitting with his glasses on and a yeah, leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, 
you know, then you had, you know, like, I suppose, like, uh, what was the guy, Sebastian Bach, he would be kind of like a kind of more jokey version of, of Axl Rose, but, like, I can't think of any of those guys that have, like, moves, you know, like, physical, you know, like, you know, the way, like, Axel Rose, you know, hold the, the the stand, you know, the mic stand, and ride, yeah, and and do that sort of stuff, and he sort of like you you kind of spin like a snake, yeah, you know? kind of like you know iconic kind of movements, you know. I just don't really think that you know Marlon Manson had similar sort of things, but you know the way Axel did it is you know really cool, really really cool. I mean. Uh, uh, is it almost like the the last of the great rock stars? Is well, I'm just looking at as record. far as that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think kind of. But I'm looking at my record collection, and I think we talked about this in previous episodes. Rob Zombie is another one who does. He is a, a big character. You know, yeah. We saw him a couple of years ago. You know, it's kicking in the you know the, the clothes with the flares and flares and everything. Yeah, yeah that yeah. Um, you know, but I suppose Axel did it. You know, we were talking about his kind of outrageous fashion, but he did it like. I'm, in a in a less kind of like showmanship way, if you know what I mean. You know, obviously Rob Zombie's got the hats on, he's got the kind of flares and the kind of cowboy stuff, you know, whereas Axel Rose kind of looked without the kind of really short shorts and you know <laughs> you know uh, red uh, suit jackets, you know, most of the time you could sort of see that sort of person walking down the street somewhere, yeah. you know, whether it be a punk or a you know a kind of leather clad biker, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, if, if Guns Roses do come to Scotland uh, this year or next year, we'll, we'll go and see them, eh, Sharky? Oh, yeah, yeah without yeah. a doubt. I mean, yeah. it's been a. There, there's been a, a few bands from, you know, from almost like my, my teen years that yeah. I've, I've not been able yeah. to see one reason or another. Guns N' Roses are up there, yeah. you know, absolutely up there. I mean, I would, I would quite happily. See, see Slash because I'm just such a big fan of, of yeah. this anyway you know yeah. but um, to get the, the whole shooting match would be I'd, I'd, I'd be happy I'd yeah, die a happy yeah, man with yeah. that like you know yeah so I think that's probably a good place to wrap up episode 10 of uh, the Vinyl Revelations podcast uh, Guns N' Roses Usual Illusion we went through their whole catalogue more or less um, any final thoughts or statements you want to make? Yeah, I'm just kind of glad that I could share like what is, what is that got me in, into music in, in the first yeah. place, and I mean maybe we could yeah. cover an album like your album that that, that got you in, into music at, at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely we'll we'll definitely do that. So I mean, actually, in a similar vein, uh, the next episode, as uh, Sharpie alluded to at the top of the program, uh, we're going to look at our uh, favorite records from the year 2020 it was a shit show but there was some pretty good music and um you know 2020 uh you know looking back is always 2020 so why not uh have a listen to that i always think that uh you know music's a bit like uh, wine and cheese you know if you let it sit for a little while it tastes and smells better well maybe not smells better but <laughs> well, it's, cr cr crawl away. yes it, it gets better with a little bit of time just to sort of let it sit and you know comes through so um i think we'll see you in the next episode um of the vinyl revelations podcast what say you sharpie yeah thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you next time yeah cheers Ka -chang. <laughs>